I found this article about the nine stages of goodbye that you only understand if you're from the Midwest. The subtitle is, if it doesn't take you a full hour, you're doing it wrong. It starts with step one, the whelp. Where you say, whelp, and you kind of put your hands on your lap like you're getting up to go. That makes sense. Stage two, the hugs. Step three is you walk to the door, and that should take about 20 minutes. Step four is the doorway chat. Step five, the we really should be going phase, and you begin your descent to the car. Then there's step six, the second round of hugs. Step seven, you put the hand on the doorknob. Then you have number eight, the slow open conversation as you're walking from the door to the car. And then finally, step nine is the window wave, where you wave from the window on your way out. It's a lot. My grandmother would just typically say, well, I'm going to head to bed so y'all can leave. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. And welcome, welcome, welcome to Touchpoint episode number 147. I'm Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Hello, Reed. Looking forward to today's conversation. We're back on social media, near and dear to both of our hearts. That's how we met. Uh, That's uh, what brought us all together there at the old Mayo Clinic. So social media is for a good period of time and probably still is maybe how we're identified to people sometimes uh, as social media experts, quote unquote. I'll be honest, I'm not sure that I've kept up with Facebook or some of them quite as well from at least a personal standpoint. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. We're going to talk about uh, some pretty cool stuff today that's in line with some of the things that actually we've talked about historically, and we'll get into that. But before we do, a quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. Uh, we've got a couple of new shows coming. We've got a new one that's on the on the site, High Stakes. You should go check that out. I would love you to rate, review, subscribe over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen. So before we get started, let's uh, take a brief pause and we'll be right back. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is, and Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews, and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand, they demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. So, Reed, today we're going to be featuring an interview that we uh, captured when we were at the recent Mayo Clinic Social Media Network Conference. 
But it does make sense for us to, to chat about this because, as you know, hospitals and health systems are growing and changing as, as, we, as we speak. And to that end, uh, marketing and communications has to grow and shift with their organizational structure. Absolutely. And so those that remember, speaking of the Mayo Clinic, we actually got to visit with uh, the three fine folks that that run the Mayo Clinic social media handles. And so this is analogous to that, I guess, a little bit. That was actually episode 143. If you want to go back and check that out, it uh, seemed to be pretty popular. And then also episode number 136, the evolving marketing department. So again, we've talked a little bit about this idea of structure and support and change and, you you know, kind of the way that we do what we do. We, we sure have. And all of that is, you know, changing based on a lot of things like the organizational structures, maybe the areas of focus or uh, hospitals, health systems are changing, focusing on certain specialty services, maybe over others. Also, audience types change. If you have a large health system that's spread over multiple geographic areas, you know, the question is, do you develop a social media approach, you know, for this particular region or this particular market or what have you? To that end, later on in the episode, we're going to be talking about uh, talking with Jen Rittenhouse from Multicare, who's over in the Seattle-Tacoma area. She had a presentation at the Mayo Clinic Conference about how she actually retooled social media to support her new organization. So that's going to be a really interesting topic. Nice. But before we go into that, since you and I have always been involved in social media, Reed, you have been doing surveys for with hospitals. Yeah you know, how they, they are using social media and their Marcom structure. So you want to share a little bit about what you found in the study you did? Yeah, so I've been known to do a survey here and there. And uh, this one was on, you know, the marketing and communications department as a whole. And so I'll pull a couple little nuggets out of this, uh, these survey findings. And I, I think the first one was just a simple question in relation to marketing and communications. Is that one department or is marketing a department and communications a, a second department? So I think that sets an interesting stage. Well, overwhelmingly, about 80% was like, you know, that's one department. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But then um, we started asking which roles and responsibilities find their way under kind of the marketing header versus the communications header. And so I thought this was kind of interesting, right? So things like marketing strategy certainly overwhelmingly, almost exclusively fall underneath the marketing header, media buying, things like that, right? Like those were pretty, pretty uh, straightforward. There were some other ones though, like sponsorships that kind of go back and forth. But if you go down and you look at social media and community management was actually kind of the way that we worded it. It was just a little over 50% marketing. So again, there's not a real clear depiction. Where is that within the organization? And I think that just speaks to is social media marketing or is social media communications? And I think probably you could argue both because if we're talking about the paid efforts, well, that's probably marketing. If you're talking about just reputation management and community building and some of those types of things that happen, like on Facebook, for example, well, you could probably make the argument that that falls underneath communications, right? Yeah, but I, so many of those things are, are kind of colluding together that it's, it's sometimes hard to separate you know, one from the other. I know that in some organizations I've um, worked with, they have their, their brand reputation and even you know, the community management piece. There's certain paid aspects of that. So I've seen communication departments actually placing ads on behalf of the health system from a different budget, clearly with different strategies or different goals. I think that 
kind of makes sense how you're describing it, but I'm surprised that's tilted more towards the marketing side than it is towards the communication side. In barely. So I think, you know, what it's probably telling us is that there's really no consensus on, you know, where does that live? About half have it over here, about half have it over there. And then further down in the survey, you know, we also asked what roles do you feel need more attention in respect to healthcare marketing and communication? So it's the same list, right, of roles. And uh, social media uh, garnered 32% uh, of the people surveyed said that, you know, social and community management, you know, need more attention. And so, again, it's still something that while we may not like Facebook, again, like we've talked about in a couple of the previous episodes, it's a necessary evil. And then also that social is not just Facebook. Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked about this before on our show. And as you mentioned, the the High Stakes podcast on our network, you just recently were on that podcast talking with Aaron Clifford about reputation management and listing management, which coincidentally is very much closely aligned to almost like patient experience. If you think about it, review management, listing management, when people are writing reviews, the people in the patient experience team might be involved in some departments. And so again, this kind of underscores the fact that social media is a little bit different depending on the overall approach that your organization is taking. Well, and I think that's interesting, uh, the point that you're making there, which, uh, again, we also asked of all these roles that we listed out, which ones of these fall outside of marketing and communications? And it's some of that very stuff, patient experience, patient access, et cetera. And so we're seeing some of those things that you know, probably uh, run alongside or pretty complementary to social not being within the marketing and communications department. So that study that you're referencing, Reed, is that do, have you published that anywhere? Is that available for people to see? You know, I should do that. We used it with some clients and in a presentation or two that I that I did. What I may do is actually kick that back out and allow some additional folks to take the survey, if you will, uh, and maybe we'll uh, publish that after the first of the year. So, so be on the lookout for that uh, survey if you'd like to take it. Certainly, reach out. Uh, I can send you a link. Um, and be happy to send you any findings. So, yeah, absolutely. Maybe this podcast will inspire some people to uh, to go out there and, and get us a, a better understanding of how it is. But you know, related to that, read recently, I actually went through and started to do some research around how adjacent industries, industries that are influencing how consumers are in our space, how they're using social media. And so um, I actually wanted to share a little bit of those findings with you. Maybe we'll put it up there as a little link on our, on our website that people can download if they want to see. So what I did is I looked at a couple of industry segments, like the um, one that I hear a lot that is very closely aligned to us in healthcare is the insurance and financial segments. Hmm. You know, companies like yep. Geico and Nationwide, you know, those kinds of companies and seeing how they actually use social media. It's another highly regulated industry, right? Which is where a lot of that correlation comes from, probably, in the privacy piece, et cetera. Absolutely. And, you know, what's cool about that is, is that when you think about, like, what would you expect that insurance financial services use their social media for, Reed? Oh, well, I, acquisition, customer acquisition type stuff, I would assume. I think that that is certainly a part of it. But what I what we saw more in the studies that we did is they're using those channels to actually build engagement and loyalty. They're using it for lifetime value. Because if you think about it, you're in an insurance product. You, there's probably cross-sell opportunities for sure. 
but they're using social as a way to actually keep engagement, kind of keep top of mind with people. What we found is that they focus less on driving traffic to their sites. Over 50% of their posts, especially on Facebook, center around images, videos, and only 24% of the stuff that they publish is really focusing on driving web traffic. They focus more on things like sponsorships, celebrity guests. By the way, when they do that too, they use a lot of at you know posts and hashtags because really what they're trying to do is build that sort of that affinity around their brand. Now we're talking insurance companies. I would guess probably that has something to do with you know there needs to be a brand awareness play there, right? Because much like healthcare, you know, it's not an impulse buy in most cases, I guess. And so you want that brand affinity, that brand awareness piece. I mean, that's why you see all you know the Peyton Manning, uh, Brad Paisley commercials for Nationwide because they they want to associate with other things that you like, and uh, they feel like they're going to get that halo effect, and then certainly eventually convert you to a customer. So another category industry that we looked at was travel and hospitality, and not surprising, what they're using it for is customer experience and service recovery. Mm. I think about that. I'm talking about like airline travel. I'm talking about hotels. You know, we hear that a lot, right? That people are using Twitter as a way to like reach out and complain about maybe their travel plans being uh, diverted or they complain about the cleanliness of their hotel room and things like that. And sure enough, that's what their industry is doing. They actually, many of them actually have a dedicated account focused on just customer service and support. Yeah, like what's the and then like a Delta handle? It's like Delta Help or something or, or whatever. Anyway, the, yeah, they all have those because obviously they're in the experience business or the service business certainly, and that makes a lot of sense. And uh, some of them have done a pretty effective job of actually doing service recovery, doing customer service type work in that environment. The other thing too is they use like Instagram as a way to actually repost what cust- pictures customers have taken, like either on their flights that are you know positive, obviously, right? Not the negative stuff, but or of their hotel rooms or like when they're on vacation, those sorts of things. Their Instagram accounts are really about reposting what their customers have done. Very cool. Okay, so another one, obviously retail. We talk a lot about retail and retail focuses on customer nurturing and acquisition. That makes total sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a transactional world. Right. Like they want you to buy the pair of shoes. You know, they want you to, you know, order new razor blades or, you know, whatever pairs, you know, whatever the scenario is. Yep. But what's interesting about it, though, it's not a direct push from their social channels. What they're doing there is they're actually using social as a way to build a conversation with people around the brands. They're trying to grow alignment around the brands. And then when they nurture these individuals, they actually then, in a secondary way, drive them to actually go to their website to convert and make a sale, so to speak. The last industry we looked at is one that I, when I first started to look at this industry, I'm like, why are we looking at this? The utility power segment. Oh boy. I bet that was a barn burner. Now we're talking about like companies like Duke Energy, National Grid, Southern Company, PG&E, some of the big social channels. They're using social media as a way to build a social community. They focus their efforts on using um, like Twitter for customer service, 
but they're actively part of the social conversation. They're monitoring their brand name much more frequently than, let's say, Delta or Southwest does. And they showcase their industry knowledge in social. They create posts around things like, here's, a, here's one of the top posts that we saw. See how we help avoid power outages using drones to monitor vegetation growth. It's anytime you can work a drone in, it's good. Well, they also introduce their employees as community heroes, highlighting their 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 lives, their family lives. That's I think these are really interesting findings and the social stuff that other industries are doing that can be applicable to sort of the strategies and the ways we're thinking about how we use social in our health systems. So after the break, Reed, let's jump into uh, sort of a framework about ways that you could structure social media to support your organization. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Let's shift gears here a little bit and maybe talk about what the social media team should look like. You know, we get that question a lot. I'm sure you do. Uh, I do. Uh, well, I'm sure a lot of people uh, have been asked, whether it's social media specific or not, look at my department. Are we staffed appropriately? How much can we really do with X amount of people? You know, there's different ways it's said, I guess. How do you structure this thing? So we found a really great framework that actually was written, um, it's, there's a lot of articles out there. And rather than be prescriptive and say, you should have three people in your social media department focusing on reputation, two people here, or what have you, this framework is a great way to kind of think about how you should structure your, your organization. It came from a marketing agency called Origin Outside, and they focus on outdoor sports brand marketing. That sounds fun. Yeah, it does. What a, what a fun job. Why did we pick healthcare? <laughs> So anyway, they actually lay out a very simple framework. So why don't we kind of walk through it a little bit? The first thing, of course, they say is what's your objective, right? What role is social going to play in your in your plan? It's like what we talked about, Reed. It's like, all right, how much is reputation management? How much is marketing? How would you prioritize that? Because that gives you sort of the first viewpoint of the way you want to start structuring your department. You can almost back into that, at least initially. So you can go down the list and mark the things off that like, okay, well, we ha- these are must-haves, like the reputation management piece or customer service or whatever you want to call it. Like, you know, you circle the things about social that you have to do, table stakes, if you will, and then you turn and look at like, who do we have? Well, you may pretty quickly realize that like, all right, well, that's all we can do. Or, you know, we've got to have more people or, you know, whatever the scenario is. Next thing they have here is, uh, do you have an articulated social media strategy? Articulated? Does that mean we have to write it down? I would assume that would probably make sense at some juncture. <laughs> uh, it, it's funny because I think it's, it's sometimes it's hard. It's like, what's your social media strategy? And it's just kind of like, 
deer in headlights, you know, a little bit. Uh, I don't think this has to be overly complicated. I don't think so either. I mean, you have to have sort of an overarching social strategy for your organization. Where it gets a little complicated is if each individual, let's say service line or maybe hospital, wants to develop their own specific social strategy and aligning that all together, that could get a little bit complicated, wouldn't you, wouldn't you think? I think so. And I think, too, you know, having that social media strategy, certainly it should be inside of a digital strategy that should be inside of a marketing strategy, you know, not just we got to have a better social media strategy. So if you don't, again, if you don't have some of the foundational stuff, I'm not sure it makes total sense. But in any case, yes. Do you have an articulate social media strategy? Followed right on the heels of that is the third point about do you have a budget allocated to create social media content? And also to distribute social media content. So content creation is one thing, like you know, videos, photographs, it, written copy. If you, you know, if you're, however, you're going to do your social content, do you have budget resources available to do that? Because that will greatly inform how you're going to do it. And then the distribution part is obviously that's talking about audiences and other channels that could maybe cross promote your social media. That's an interesting one. And sometimes don't maybe, maybe don't think about it as like, do you have a budget? Because maybe you don't, but do you have support from the organization, which may ultimately lead to a specific line item or budget or whatever it may be. But, you know, do you have that support? Uh, Where does social media sit within the company? So, you know, you talked about some of those other industries, not that social media necessarily sits in customer service, but obviously those in the airline world, uh, they have a big focus there. But anyway, where does it sit within the company? Um, is it in marketing? Is it in communications? Is that the same place? Uh, is it its own department? Is it under web? You know, where, where where is it? Well, and they say too, right, that virtually speaking, there's no wrong position for, for a social media team to be at in your organization. But if your social media team sits in one of these departments, their KPIs are going to be heavily influenced by that department. So if you're in the communications department, even though they might be doing marketing for you, they're going to lean more heavily into the communications KPIs. If you're using them for other strategies, you have to bring them up to speed on those and really bring them up to speed on the best practices or else you might get it wrong, right? Or they might, they might start leaning more on other types of measurements. And then that leads to your social team structure. Now, we're not going to get really deep into it, but they actually outline a couple. Clearly, that has to be like in our, in our world, like the CEO or a, important to a social media team, at least according to them. The first is what they call the head of social media. Is that a job in and of itself? I mean, I think obviously it depends on the complexity of your organization slash size of your organization, maybe. In this article, they refer to a role called the chief social officer. Oh, boy. Now, that sounds like a fun job. <laughs> Does he just have a selfie stick and like walk around all day? <laughs> like, he's just Facebook Live all day long. No, you know what? Actually, he's probably more nerded out than that. And it's like Meerkat or something. Or it's like he's going old school. <laughs> Is Meerkat even a thing? Is that even a thing anymore? I don't even know. But I think the point here, though, is you got to have someone that actually can overall guide sure. that work and understand the resources needed to support whatever those strategies are and making sure that the social department is working together. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the next one they talk about here, which I think is uh, probably overlooked quite a bit. Uh, number one, probably because we don't have a lot of 
social media teams, if you look across hospitals, mm-hmm. but in any case is the community manager. Um, so, you know, who's, who's in their day to day building and maintaining the community. This isn't just necessarily posting content, right? This is about engaging the audience, uh, monitoring, participating in conversations, responding to questions. That's all that, you know, this is a community manager. Now, now get, keep in mind here, we're not saying that you have to have an independent person for each one, but this is definitely the second most important role that your social media team has to serve or else it's not a social media channel. It's just become another marketing channel. Another role is the content creator or, and or designer, the people that are actually creating the content. Now, again, it could be the same person, but you have to dedicate time to that person. A lot of times the community manager also does the content creation. And in this article, they advocate to say, maybe you want to think about other people doing that because sometimes those roles can conflict and, and get in the way of one another. They, they even say in here that, that a content creator could be a team of people, like a writer, photographer, videographer, that kind of thing. I would say some hospitals have people that are videographers, but I don't want to confuse the idea that like the person that knows how to take pictures is a content designer, creator. And then the last role is a social analyst. Sounds like a therapist to me. Yeah, so social analyst. I like that. This is obviously a person dedicated to your measurements, your metrics, making sure that you're doing A-B testing. This is that the person that very much is into the numbers and the data and can see trends in that data. Yeah, and if you have somebody that, I mean, obviously this this probably, again, not necessarily a full-time job. So it could be the person that's also in charge of like, measurement analytics as a whole, SEO and uh, web analytics and some of those types of things. Maybe they have something to do with media buying, again, kind of depending on your organization. They also say here that often social analysts are also responsible for social listening, online reputation management, at least monitoring online mentions, and conversations around your brands. When you think about it, this person is very much a numbers-driven person. They are really good at not only taking in the numbers, but reporting out on the numbers and providing recommendations based on what they see. So those roles are what this article indicates are the uh, critical parts of a social media team. And I'm wondering if we're forgetting any, Reed. Do, do, do any spring to mind on your, your, your side? The only thing that, and again, this maybe is not social media specific, but you know, people that work in the paid world uh, is maybe a little bit different from a media buying standpoint. But again, not necessarily a social media role, uh, although it does play a role. That person could be within the social media team, or it could come from the other people that you know, your your team that does the online advertising, SEM stuff. Maybe they are the social advertisers. That's for sure. You know, this article is was written by an agency, so they all they ended it with asking about should you have social media in house or should you use an agency? Mm. And um, yeah, that's a really good question, isn't it? Clearly, an agency. <laughs> no, I think again, a lot of it goes back to the same questions you ask relative to the roles themselves, right? How complex is the organization? How big is the organization? Do you have the ability to get the resources you need? They're locally for, from, from a full-time, part-time standpoint. I, th- there are some hospitals, certainly, and some markets in the country that maybe can't attract the talent that is needed 
for that particular market, you know, i.e. people don't want to move to that town. If you're a hospital in Houston, it's probably not as big of a deal. You can get people to move there. The one thing that they point out in their experience, they say that they there's different types of agencies that can help too. There are agencies that help with the strategy, the consulting at the very high level. That's kind of like the work that you've, you do, Reed, that you have done before. It's like, hey, do we have really good folks that can execute? We just need help with the strategy piece. Uh, do we have the strategy piece and we need kind of the bandwidth extension to like actually be able to do the stuff? You know, that's kind of a self-assessment that you have to do to, to really understand uh, what makes the most sense for your organization. And on the other side, they say that you can actually use an agency to help with all the content creation too. But the one role that they're stressing that should be in-house is that community manager. They say the benefit is to have that community manager in the house because they're the people that live the brand, speak in your brand voice. They're working with the customer complaints. So if anything, if you're looking at, you know, you're, you're structuring your social media team and looking for outside help, remember that that community manager should be an inside role. Yeah. Anything that is address based, meaning services happen at a particular location, which that is all hospitals, you really need someone as close to that physical address doing that community ad, uh, management role as humanly possible. So now they may be at a division office or corporate office or something like that, but somebody has got to be hopefully as physically close to the action, if you will, um, as possible. Speaking of someone really close to the action, uh, the person that we interviewed from Multicare, Jen Rittenhouse, a, a person that we've known for many years, she's very active on the social community and she's just great on social. She does it really well. We had a chance to sit down with her and talk to her about how she, when faced with a major shift in her organization, how she was able to lead her social strategy is to support from going centralized to a distributed approach. So let's give that a listen and we'll be right back after the break. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert section of the podcast. And today I am recording once again live from the Mayo Clinic Social Media Conference. And I just met up with someone that I've known for many years who gave a great presentation. And I want to, I, I thought that what you shared yesterday, Jen, was great for our audience. So I'm excited to have you here. Jen Rittenhouse, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Long time listener, first time on the show. I'm excited. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. <laughs> Jen, you and I have known each other, gosh, it's been years now. I mean, we met each other since I think you started. But why don't you, for our audience who may not know you, tell them a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, I am an unintentional healthcare marketer, um, though aren't we all? I've been with Multicare Health System for over five years now, managing social media. Before that, I was a copywriter. And then I studied journalism, fell into marketing. I think a lot of us take that that route. Mm -hmm. um, so here I am. Yeah. And we met right when I started at Multicare. Yeah. I think it was right when you started. Mm -hmm. You were really, really fresh and new. Mm -hmm. And they said, now Jen is in charge of our social media. Mm -hmm. Multicare, by the way, is right outside of the Seattle area. It's in the Tacoma, actually Tacoma, Washington. Yes. You're a pretty large health system. 
right? You serve a lot of a lot of the community, right? Yeah, yeah. So we are the largest community-based nonprofit health system in Washington State. Wow. We have nine hospitals, more than 240 urgent care clinics. Mm-hmm. Um, we employ almost 2,000 physicians, 18,000 employees total. And my favorite fact is last year, 8,686 babies were born in our birth oh, center. Oh, so that's awesome. Lots of babies. Lots of babies. That's great. <laughs> well, the thing is, is, you know, yesterday you were talking about a new a new leader that came on board mm-hmm. that really embraced social media because I know you know five years ago people were still hesitant in hospitals to use social media yeah. and then you have a new leader come on board mm-hmm. that says we want to embrace social media yep. and you knowing the state of the state of social media realized that to do that we you had to figure out a process it was really exciting to have leadership that's supportive of social, right? Yeah. Because um, people say that in healthcare we're behind, and I don't know that it's necessarily the people that are pushing the keyboard for Twitter and right. social. Um, often it's leadership, and so it was really great that our um, leader saw that our program was undervalued and under um, appreciated. Mm. Um, however, the way that he wanted to elevate it gave me great concerns. So mm. it yeah. was a little bit scary. <laughs> um, our CEO was at a meeting with leaders um, on the eastern side of the state and an ortho surgeon said we want to access social media we used to be able to do all these things before we were acquired by the health system that you acquired and you're getting in our way mm-hmm. so our ceo told our cmo this and our cmo devised a plan to decentralize social media so okay now i know that <laughs> me as well as a number of people listening in mm-hmm. suddenly freaked out right. hearing that word right. decentralizing mm-hmm. because the, it's been the trend right of hospitals over the years mm-hmm. because social media is such sort of the wild West and anybody can do pretty much anything and that Mm -hmm. could leave a lot of risk that we've centralized our operations. We've created one standard social media account for our health system Mm -hmm. or, you know, or whatever it may be, practice, whatever. And we've consolidated everything and we've assigned someone to be responsible for that. Yes. And now you hear the word decentralize. Yes. What went through your mind? I think I went blank, just like full (laughs) shock um, and experienced a range of emotions processing it. Um, I have been at MultiCare for almost six years and had a lot of really fascinating requests and experiences. So as he was saying, decentralizing and talking about giving people across the system who wanted social, anyone who wanted social access to it, I ran through um, a Rolodex of nightmares, um, such as the cafeteria requesting a Facebook page and an Instagram account. Like, what would that even be? Can you imagine? Um, (laughs) There's not a filter on Instagram that's going to make those chicken fingers look appealing. Um, And we've had requests for um, an account for the dogs of our urgent care clinics, Mm. um, which do not provide veterinary services. They just wanted to show the fun side and so thought maybe it would be great to have a page where employees could post pictures of their dogs. Oh, Um, so not even used in a clinical setting. No. Mm -mm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So just another way for the audience to engage with the urgent care clinic. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. Okay. Uh, a hospital pharmacy Facebook page. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because that's where I go for my for my pharmaceutical needs. Yes. Is there a Facebook page? I mean, if you're right. not creating community around your prescriptions, <laughs> where are you finding it? <laughs> but but I think what it really speaks to the fact is that when people hear, you know, we want to. We, we, we want to use social media. Mm-hmm. They, they're really mistaken a lot of times about what the purpose and use of social media is. Yes. Is that right? Yep, yep. A lot of times people need a quick fix for a problem, and I feel like social is 
it's visible, right? Like you write it, you post it, you can see it right there. Mm -hmm. It's in your feed. You can show it to somebody and then you feel like you solved a problem. So um, a a lot of people are hearing about social media, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're sitting down at Thanksgiving dinner next to their niece who's an influencer on Instagram and she's talking about how easy it is. So then they come back and they want to know how we're going to engage influencers for Mm -hmm. to boost our ED volumes. Like it doesn't work that way. So um, even though it's well-intentioned, social is often the first ask, but it's not usually the answer. But I can understand the need, though, to decentralize and expand social media because if done right, it could mm-hmm. be very effective. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And for a system that's growing and um, we you know, really believe in the value of storytelling and so growing in that way, we could find new stories, we could find new ways to engage with our community. Um, healthcare social media is funny because it's kind of a revolving drawer of engagement. We do have these experiences that will trigger some affinity, like having a baby or um, going through something like chemotherapy or maybe we save your mom's life and you want to engage because you love the hospital and so you become part of our community. But often, the further away you get from that event, the less engaged you are. And so we have this revolving door of engagement. Right. And we just we talked about this just prior to turning on the microphone. Uh, I mentioned that you know podcasting is like, it's a, it's a marathon. You have to keep going. Mm-hmm. And with social media, to a certain extent, there's a responsibility for keeping that information going ever, ever present, right? Mm-hmm. You can't yes. just do it for a week and then leave. Yes. Right? It's just not effective that way. Mm -hmm. All right. So clearly you saw that there was a need to figure out how this is going to be accomplished. Yes. Let's talk about that. What did, what's the first thing that you thought about or what, what are the way steps that you took to start to address this request? Yeah. So I knew that strategy was really important, right? And I kept telling the team, process without strategy, like we need a process. That's what, that's what the ask was. Figure out, figure out how to do this. Create a process so that people can access social media. Um, but I knew that process without strategy is like the DMV, right? Like we can't just have a process for the sake of a process. It needs to be really smart. Right. I also wanted to set the program up for success. So if there was, was something, even though it was being done in the spirit of like experimentation and learning, I wanted it to be something that would have some longevity and be able to scale because our system's growing as so many of you know, so many are. Um, so if it was something that was going to be successful, I wanted to make sure that I sent it off in the right direction. Sure. So I started with a project brief. <laughs> oh, a project brief. <laughs> I know. It's not the sexiest thing, but I love a project brief. I think it's so simple and so, you know, straightforward, mm-hmm. but it's something that we often miss. Yes. So a project brief. So you basically, it, what was it to say, this is what we're trying to do or yes. tell us about yeah. that. Yeah, So it was a standard brief. Um, uh, I made it up. We don't have a brief that we typically follow. Um, uh, started with this situation. Um, what's happening? Why are we doing this? Objectives. What are our objectives? Who's our audience? Who are we talking to? Um, and then tucked in there was the magic framework of no feel do. So after oh. we identified our audience, I love breaking out what we want them to know, what we want them to feel, and what we want them to do. And therein lies the strategy, the setup for the strategy, and then also the setup for any creative. Okay, let's repeat that. What you want them to know, Mm -hmm. what you want them to feel, Mm -hmm. and what you want them to do. Yes. Yeah, I have not seen that in a project brief before. That's that's a great framework. Yeah, yeah, and it's really effective, right? So for this particular project, we wanted people to know about our social media program. Mm -hmm. We wanted them to know that they could have access to our pages or potentially their own. Mm -hmm. We wanted them to feel excited and supported and we wanted them to participate. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that project brief, that's, I mean, that must, sounds like it could be 
it's easy, but yet difficult to implement. How did that work? I mean, after you wrote the project brief, what then went? We just kept it top of mind at all of our meetings. We also had the deliverables and then some success metrics, like what did we think success would look like? And it was something that I used to set up any time as the project was moving along and when we would have check-ins or when we would preview the initial um, structure of it, the brief would set it up. We always went back to the brief. I think it's important, particularly in healthcare, and particularly when you have requests coming from leadership, because leaders can get amnesia. So, um, you know, the 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 charge to decentralize happened um, on a Wednesday. I went on maternity leave on a Friday and just hoped it would go away while I was gone. <laughs> <laughs> and then I came back six weeks later. And um, I tried to push it off and I thought surely people will change their minds. And so um, a lot of time had passed from the initial charge and then it took us time to put the program together, right? So mm -hmm. we created this pilot program to decentralize. Pilot's the keyword because that means it's not permanent. So right. if it was a disaster, we could, um, we could shut it down. Um, but it took us a, a month or so to develop our process. And so it was really great to keep all of the stakeholders on the same page and nobody could get professional amnesia about what we were doing or why we were doing it. Yeah, I think the project brief is great to serve as like sort of that true north. Mm -hmm. And you always have to come back to it to yes. say, is this what we're doing? Particularly if you get started yeah. down, down the path. But okay, so you started to roll it out. You, you, I like how you characterize it as pilot. Mm -hmm. I, who did you go to first? Was it the pharmacy Facebook page? Was it the dogs of of uh, the ED? What like who? How did you determine who to go to? We did not circle back with those beautiful <laughs> people. We included the Tacoma or the hospital cafeteria. Mm -hmm. So we chose people who had made requests for social in the last six months, mm -hmm. and we invited them to participate. So mm -hmm. our NICU, they share a ton of content with us, and we have ongoing conversations with them, and they um, have long wanted to have their own social presence. So we invited them. We had a therapy dogs, our facility dogs for our children's hospital account that we invited. Um, we invited our children or our benefit bike ride for the children's hospital to join Instagram. They already have a Facebook and Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, so they they were invited to participate for Instagram because they had requested that. And then the hospital cafeteria page was invited. And then we had some um, in our other region, we invited the ortho practice and then a women's health practice. And so... I think total there were eight people and two dogs if you count the eight people and two dogs. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, and but it sounds as you're describing these, it sounds like it aligns to more strategic growth opportunities for your organization, or maybe uh, on the flip side, not just marketing, but from a community building perspective, opportunities to develop that communication, that 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 personal touch. Absolutely. of the health system. Is that kind of how you decided which ones came through? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we wanted it to align with what our system priorities were doing, what our business units were doing. That was important. Um, I don't know that the invitation for the cafeteria aligned with anything, but that was in the spirit of experimentation and learning and just being a good internal partner mm -hmm. um, because that was a big piece of this, right? There was some client service that was involved mm -hmm. um, in creating this project. Internally, we wanted to um, show that we were valued partners and collaborative and care about you know all mm -hmm. of our partners in the system and their interests but it wasn't one of these things where you just set up the account and let them go nope there was some more to this, right? Oh my gosh, there was so much. So my life was PowerPoint for probably two or three weeks. Um, so to set up the project after the brief, I created a state of social media document for MultiCare that shared our footprint, some of our greatest hits, our strategy and philosophy, some of our best practices. Um, this is for the centralized. For the central. The yep. work that you've been managing. Yes, the work. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, and that was really a foundation 
a, do a foundational document um, that has proved to have a lot of value beyond just this project because through this we learned that there's a lot of just there wasn't any awareness for our program mm -hmm. and what we were doing People, the bit the awareness was that we were just saying no to mm -hmm. requests so that document um, has been shared around the system and it's been spun off as um, what I call the roadshow so anytime anyone has a question about social um, I send them that document or I go to meetings with doctors and mm -hmm. tell them what we're doing and where we are on social mm -hmm. and I find that that has been a big relationship builder because people just didn't know so there was that piece and then also um, we created a two-phase process which had a lot of documentation that went, went with it. So a phase one that invites people to use our existing channels to find community. So mm. we have um, 50 accounts across five channels, an audience of 160,000 and growing. Um, and the goal is with anything to find your audience and that can be challenging. Mm. And so for people who were dead set on finding their own audience, not wanting to access our social channels. That was part of why we were doing this. Um, the phase one is designed to use our existing channels with some support. It's kind of like social media with training wheels, find your audience, right. see if the content is right. So in that case, right, they're publishing on your channels. Yes. They're learning tone and voice. Mm -hmm. What other things are they doing? I mean, obviously, I think that that's a, it's a great idea to use these channels. Yeah. They don't have access to publish. They're sharing content with us, and um, we would work with them to zhuzh it, right, to make sure that it matched our tone and voice, um, and then we would help them with photos. Um, I just remembered we had a uh, we have a thrift store that's a fundraiser mm. for one of our um, programs at one of our hospitals that joined mm. phase one, and so that's a classic example. Um, the manager of the thrift store will send me an idea or send me some, you know, they have a, they had a sale over Memorial Day weekend. And so she had some ideas. So I sent her back some ideas. Like, can you get pictures of some of your volunteers wearing clothes? Mm. And we can talk about how, cool. how much their, that outfit cost or how much, whatever the purse mm. they have cost. And so there was, it was very collaborative. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, so everybody who was maybe designated as being part of this future mm -hmm. pilot program would have to go through this phase one before they went to phase two? Well, we that was the original vision, but we decided that um, some had the case, could make the case for starting in phase two. We What's phase two then? Phase two is your own social account, so we secure them. We have the passwords, and you get your account. Um, there's some a reporting document, so we created a reporting template so people could help to help walk them through reporting. Um, the phase two document is a little bit more um, a little bit more expansive with like best practices, tips, content calendaring recommendations, some budgeting recommendations. Mm -hmm. Layered in with that is a separate document for negative feedback because oh. that's a piece of it. So our procedures and protocols that go um, for negative feedback and how we navigate that in our system. That's very comprehensive and I think that's very useful. But did you just give them all the materials or were you also there coaching them through? We were coaching them through. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Mm -hmm. So um, we created an intake survey and we put it on our intranet we invited people to take the survey and so that was their first step and so the mm. survey determined if you were in phase one or phase two oh. yeah like yeah so that was really nice um i think that that was a nice touch um it took a lot of time to create but i think it was a nice touch because again it wasn't me telling people no which i think had been the vision was that we were gatekeepers of social and mm -hmm. so this was you know it felt like Everyone loves to take a survey, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, what happened? I mean, I, obviously, this sounds really nice, really, you know, idyllic. But mm -hmm. what, what, what happened? What did you find out? Yeah. So we had some surprising successes. Um, 
Uh, it's been about six months now. And so our facility dogs um, for Mary Bridge, their Instagram account within the first month had 300 followers, which in the grand scheme of the internet isn't a lot. But when anyone who's ever tried to grow an Instagram audience knows that that's a lot for one month, right? Sure. We did some cross promotion on the Mary Bridge page, but um, one, the, one of the dogs, Olaf, he's a golden retriever in our oncology clinic, and he really does love warm hugs. He has a trading card that all the kids get, and his the Instagram account is on there. Uh-huh. So that's we've seen lots of patients engaging, um, and then the children or the Mary Bridge Courage bicycle ride. That Instagram account has 136 followers now. The ride was just in August, but only 300 people ride that. So it's a small yeah. group of people that we're trying to reach. So I think that that's been really successful, and it was also a really successful way to tell the story of the ride because we have Facebook, we have Twitter, but if that, that audience is on Instagram, um, we the writers were asking for an Instagram account. So that's how we knew that they were in that space. Um, And so through the stories throughout the ride, um, the social team that was managing it did a really nice job of bringing the like sights and sounds of courage and Mm -hmm. had a lot of engagement on the weekend of the ride, which was really important. Now to be clear, these social media people weren't part of your team. No, those were found. Yeah. So the, um, the facility dogs account is run by a child life specialist at Mary bridge. Mm -hmm named Kristen. She's fantastic. And she has taken it and run with it. So Kristen was one of our beloved sources at Mary Bridge um, and has given us great stories for years. So um, knows the value of stories. And so she started posting pictures of Olaf and his counterpart days. Mm -hmm. And that was really sweet. And she has just gone in full board with storytelling. So even during childhood cancer awareness month, some of the stories she was telling, we were resharing on the Mary bridge page and the children's courage page. So having these extensions of our community just helped us tell our story in different ways. And they're also sharing stories that we share. So um, we did a special project in September for childhood cancer awareness month um, called CC's journey where my counterpart Roxanne followed I'm a Mary Bridge patient who has cancer and Down syndrome for a year and told that story um, um, through photos and long form writing and videos and so both of those accounts were sharing that so it was another way we could amplify it and we had a fundraising goal and so we were able to raise two hundred thousand dollars for childhood cancer awareness month something we've never childhood cancer something we've never done before wow. um, but I think it was because it was such a group effort mm-hmm. and um, we had all hands on deck on all of the social feeds. That is so cool. That sounds great. Now, were you ever in a situation where you had to say no to someone and there was some pushback because you're saying no? No, we've been really lucky in that way. The Women's Health and Birth Center service line in the eastern part of our state started a Facebook page and Instagram account as part of the pilot and has had a really hard time gaining momentum, right? Mm. So that has actually been even though it's been a bit of a flop, we've learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's value in the flops because we know, you know, social managers know what we know because we do it every day, right? Mm-hmm. So we know what works with community. We know it works in that space. Um, but there's value in having projects that maybe do flop um, so that you can professionally say, told you so, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> and then also rework it, right? right. So right. people don't connect with service lines and birth centers, mm-hmm. right? They connect with experiences and people and values and philosophies. And so we have those pages and I think there's opportunity to rethink the strategy and right. um, the community that we're trying to build and how we're trying to build community. Yeah. Um, I haven't thankfully had to tell anybody no. No. Well, or pull great. the reins back. Right. Um, and I think part of that is because of the setup, like the guideline, the guardrails that we set up were so clear, um, mm-hmm. the parameters and the process. And um, I think that 
that was so clear. So it just set everyone on the right track, which was the vision. I didn't want this to turn into a dumpster fire and two right. years from now have to shut down a bunch of accounts and, right. you know, clean it up. Kudos to you for setting up such a nice pro uh, process to Thank do you. this and also look at it as like it's a pilot program which allows you to do the experimentation and learnings mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Really awesome. So are we all going to start to move to this need for decentralization? Do you think that's the trend? I do. I, mm. I think it's possible. I think the, key, the people are so key, right? So the accounts that were, that were the most successful had people who, like Kristen and the, um, the Courage Bike Ride, Courtney and McKenna run that, and those are people who are already in the social space, who understand the community, who understand storytelling. That's essential. I've had conversations in the system when people have asked for social, and I've even had conversations where it sounded like it was a great fit. So an example would be a women's health group that meets in person um, once a month and wanted to extend online. And so that, that's something that I could see working. And in the conversation sure. with the team, um, the physician who wanted to host the group said, okay, so to have a Facebook group, do I need a Facebook page? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you do. Kinda, <laughs> so yeah. you kind of do. <laughs> How do I get one? Or can you, can you help me set up Twitter? Mm -hmm. I want to start tweeting. And you, if people don't have the interest or intent or they're not already naturally in that platform and consuming content on that platform, then they're at a disadvantage for running a community. But I do think that there is opportunity and that's one of the things I had to learn was like to loosen up my grip on the hashtags and let other people who have those skill sets and interests um, tell our story and be a part of the community. And who knows, maybe you can learn from what they do. Yeah, absolutely, right? absolutely. That, that's so awesome. I think that Fantastic. a lot of people listening in Jen probably want to follow you and get to know you a little bit oh. more because you're. <laughs> it sounds like you've you you're, you're, you you know what you're doing and and I, I agree I've known you for so many years that I know that you're kind of like driving and, and shifting where we're going from a future forward perspective. Thank you. How would they get to find you online? Yeah, you can find me at Yenny Pie Y E N N Y P I E. Um, that's my username. <laughs> On Twitter? <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram. And Instagram? And Instagram, yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. It's probably the best places to find you. Yeah, I think... Well, also link to your LinkedIn. Perfect. Yeah, if that Fantastic. would work for you, too. Mm -hmm. This has been so cool. Such great information, Jen. I really appreciate you spending some time sharing all the great successes you've done. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Special thanks again to Jen. Appreciate her being on the show. Um, great to see her certainly in person in Rochester a short time ago. And uh, it's great to hear her voice on the, uh, on the podcast. Absolutely. Uh, and again, as I mentioned, great person to follow online. We'll put all that in the show notes and, and definitely check out she actually alluded to a couple of resources. So if you reach out to her, uh, connect with her on LinkedIn, she'll be more than happy to send them to you. Really great stuff that'll help you if, as you're restructuring your social uh, approaches that you can actually use um, to help assess your work. There you go. Well, before we get to recommendations, uh, a couple of call outs. Of course, we'll have our end of the year show coming up where we talk about the uh, most listened to episode and where all our listeners are based and all that kind of fun stuff and just some interesting tidbits that uh, you'll want to look out for. Uh, but the show after that, the first one of the new year, if you will, uh, is our annual award show. If you have not, please, please, please go out and take the survey. It's like five questions. It's a bit.ly link 
Touchpoint 2019, Touchpoint 2019. It's a bit, bit.ly link. You can find that. Certainly we'll be pushing it around or you can just remember that URL. And we would love your input uh, on said award show. Yes, absolutely. I'm looking forward to that because there's one question on there that every year read. I'm interested to hear what the what the answer is. And it's about you or me. Oh, right. Right. Yep. Who, yep. Yep. <laughs> Who's smarter? So go on there and you can vote Chris or I or neither. So there you go. Vote for me, guys, please. <laughs> Help me out. All right. Uh, Well, another great show. Again, we'll have South by Southwest coming around in March. Uh, That's kind of next on the agenda. Uh, Sign up for the uh, TPS report. That's our uh, weekly email that comes out every Monday morning with aggregated news from the industry that you would love to be able to click on and read. We've got that for you all in one place. And uh, we still have people signing up every week for that. So that's uh, that's been kind of neat to see. And uh, before we uh, get out of here, let's do a couple of recommendations. Reed, I'll start. Um, I'm going to recommend a show on Netflix. I'm kind of a sucker for cooking shows. I, you may have remembered a couple episodes, maybe almost a year ago now, I recommended watching the British Baking Show. I love shows that are about cooking and baking. That's probably because I do baking myself. I bake bread. And I like to cook, you know, so I guess I'm kind of a fan of those shows. The one I'm going to recommend is a show called Nailed It. Have you ever seen that show? No. I'm not sure if you if you, you follow this trend, but there's a lot of people that try out these really fantastical desserts, like cakes in the shapes of unicorns and, you know, like crazy things. But when they do it at home, it comes out less than stellar. And so they post these kind of failed baking attempts online with the hashtag Nailed It. You could search on Instagram or something like that. You could see all of these failed attempts. I know BuzzFeed also has a number of uh, uh, posts around this. Well, they built a whole show around this. They take amateur bakers that are really not good at all, people that have not baked that you know, and then they give them these 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 crazy um, challenges where they have to bake a cake in the shape of you know, like the the bust of the president, or they have to create cupcakes with very intricate detailing on it and they were given a time limit it's on netflix a show called nailed it they have a number of different seasons and they just released nailed it christmas editions oh boy so i'm gonna recommend the show nailed it it's definitely fun worth a watch and a laugh for sure awesome uh i'm gonna recommend kind of a fun uh, something as well it's actually a podcast called office ladies have you heard of this no sounds great it's hosted by Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey, who uh, are Angela and Pam from The Office. And they are releasing an episode every week, and they're going, started with the pilot, and uh, they've just finished uh, season one. And so they're taking kind of behind the scenes for each episode and giving you like interesting facts about the episode and all that stuff. So it's caused my wife and I to start watching the office from the beginning, man, that show holds up and is good. And so anyway, it's just, it's kind of interesting. Just some of the stuff that they say and uh, tidbits they have. So anyway, it's called office ladies and uh, it should be pretty easy to find. I just subscribed to it. Oh my gosh. Now I get a chance and a, an excuse to rewatch The Office myself. That's awesome. All right. Well, another good episode. 147 is in the books. Uh, we appreciate all the support. Rate, review, subscribe. Touchpoint.health is the website. That's Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week.
This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.